such an amazing story a savior that would die for us because he thought we were worthy to save should put a new significance on our lives shouldn't it wow well good morning we're going to try to change gears and get to our passage this morning I just want to revel in what God has done. This is just awesome stuff. So uh, bear with me as I change gears myself. I recently heard a story about a little boy named Danny. And Danny and his family lived in a very small trailer. And one day when Danny was at school, a friend came up and said, Danny, don't you wish you had a home? And Danny says, we do have a home. We just don't have a house to put it in. So I'm wondering today, do you have a home or you just have a house? Because there's a big difference, a vast difference. See, a house is simply a structure, a place to be. Brick, wood, stone, roof, windows. But a home is a haven of love of protection, of safety, of communication, of training, of support. It's a home base, a place to belong. See, it's a place where families gather and survive this thing called life. See, when my father was growing up, he grew up in a home that did not have indoor plumbing or a bathroom. If you wanted water in the kitchen, you went out to the hand pump got a bucket and brought it in. If you wanted it warm, you put it over a fire. If you wanted to go to the bathroom, of course there was the outhouse. Always very popular in the winter. (laughs) My mom lived at times in her life because of the depression. Her family found their home in a house that was a canvas tent that was just placed on a piece of property so they could have a place to be. But I want to tell you something. Both my dad's house and my mom's house didn't matter. They were both homes. There was love. There was care. There was acceptance. So what I want to talk about this morning are four pillars that Paul lays out for us here in Colossians Pillars, not of a house, but of a godly home. And I have to say that Paul's instructions seem to need no explanation. They're very short. They're very clear. But somehow, we still have difficulty doing them. Have you noticed that some instructions are really clear, but we still can't follow them? So let's just take a look at our Bibles right now. Let's jump right in. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. And I'm, I, I was wondering why they didn't put up the bulletproof glass for me this morning. I, I requested it. No, I didn't. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Father, would you just help us see what we need to see this morning about what it is we should be doing to make our home a strong, godly home. Father, would you take away any social stigma, any uh, barriers to our acceptance of your words? And Father, these are short, sweet, and hard. Help us to have the power to do what you command. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just want to thank Pastor Larry and Pastor Todd for giving me this wonderful and non-controversial passage. Um, But actually, as we've seen throughout chapter 3 so far, verses 1 to 17, Paul has been addressing the individual Christian's life and what every Christian, regardless of station, regardless of gender, regardless of place, is to do. We're supposed to all put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness. And as Pastor Larry talked about with us last week, we all put on the overcoat of love. For love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Well, one of the things I want to say, though, Paul here in verse 18 begins to meddle. He begins to zero in on our home. He begins to say, you know what? God has designed your home as a foundational piece for all of society. Every child begins to learn at home. And what we'll find is the bottom line place where Christianity must be lived out. And guess what? It's one of the hardest places on the planet to do it. Because there's no chance to escape and pretend I mean, when you come to church, you can be whoever you want to be as you walk through the door. You put on a smile. You're looking good, looking sharp. People don't know what you really are like 24-7. But when you go home, all those barriers are gone, and they really know who you are. They really know what you're like. And it's difficult sometimes to do any pretending at home. It doesn't work. Your children know who you are. Your wives know who you are. And it's like, is this real? Is my Christianity real? Does it impact my home? Or does it just impact me when my public persona is on? You ever feel like uh, sometimes, like me, why is it that every Sunday morning on the way to church something weird happens that tests my faith? I don't know if you've ever had that. It's like this is the biggest test day of the week for Christians, getting your family out the door for church. You really understand whether you have the Holy Spirit living in you or not. Well, I would say that in this passage this morning, I'm gonna relate these four commands as four distinct and important pillars to a godly home. If you want your home to stand out in a crowd, in your neighborhood, to shine for the love of Jesus Christ to a fallen world, we must master these four things. Now, Paul is pretty non-exclusionary here. He attacks every member of the family. He leaves no one out. 
so no one can in here hide. At one point or another in your life, you're one of these four, every one of us. So let's just jump in. But I have to say one thing. Did you know that our homes are under attack? Did you know that the world is trying to redefine what even a home is? I read a statistic, it scared me, that it said in the early 1960s, 95% of all children born in America were born in a home with two parents. Anybody know what that number is right now? It's in the 50%. One out of every two children don't have a mother and a father in their home. One or the other is missing. Does that put some more pressure on the one that's left? Yes. Does that put pressure on our society? Yes. Do we see some of the problems we see in our society because of this? Yes. Paul is going to tell us what we need to do to try to combat this. So I'm going to say one more thing. I realize many of the homes in this room, if that's a true statistic, many of the homes in this room are affected by this. For about 11 years of my first daughter's life, she was in this situation because my marriage unfortunately failed when she was seven years old. She had either a mother or a father in a house that she traded places with. Anybody grew up in a world where they just traded places back and forth between mom and dad? It's not a fun situation. This is where we live, people. This is where I lived. I've been there, and I need what he's telling us. And I need you to know that we stand with you. If you grew up in this place and you can't say, well, I'm in this wonderful traditional home with a mommy and a daddy and all the kids and we all do what God says, if you're not there, I want you to know we understand and we stand with you. We want to be the rest of your spiritual family that you don't have. Whatever piece is missing, we want to be that to you in the family of God. That's what the love of Jesus will do. We stand with you. But I want you to do this for me. As you hear these things and you say, well, that may not apply because we don't have a mom, we don't have a dad. Take the principles that God's telling us here and apply the ones you can. Do children need to obey no matter what home they're in? Do, do, do men need to love no matter what home they're in? Yes. Is there a place for submission in our life no matter what home we live? Yes. We need to take what we can out of here and say, God, where do you want me to apply these even if I don't live in a traditional home? So let's uh, interject one more thing. I, I know you've heard it before, but if this is a short, crisp passage and this is not a full family life seminar. We offer that on Wednesday. It's coming up. <laughs> so Pastor Todd will be teaching first on our marriage class is called Happily Ever After, a Christ-centered marriage. If you're just a person who wants to know more about marriage, you're not even married, or you want to help people that are going through challenges in marriage, this class is for you. You don't have to have a marriage in trouble to show up. Now, if your marriage is in trouble, please show up. But you don't have to. This is not a stigma. I, we used to have financial classes. Do you remember when we had financial classes? Everybody used to think your house had to be in disarray, your finances were a mess, and that's why you're in the class. So everybody looked at the people in the class like, ooh, they don't have it together. 
No, this class is for everybody that wants to learn what God says about marriage and how they can help others succeed in marriage. Okay? So let's just move on. I'm way behind because uh, I got the platform late in the first place, but, you know, I have the power at this point. Let's begin where Paul begins in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, I realize to many, those are still fighting words. The word submit is probably one of the most disliked or hated words from women and most misunderstood words for men. Uh, I think this whole concept of submission in general in the biblical sense is not well understood. We all misapply it. So let's just see what God says. First, let's begin with the word. The word really means to rank under. It's the Greek word hupotasso, and it means to rank yourself under, to order yourself under, to voluntarily place yourself below another's authority. It doesn't say you were coerced, you were forced, you were compelled. It's voluntary. See, it's a voluntary relinquishing of one's rights, and you have to understand something. You don't have to tell an inferior to submit. They're just dominated. There's something happening here. It has nothing to do with worth, with intelligence, with value, with capability. It has everything to do with a willful choice. Okay? It's not because God's saying something about the status of wives and because they're inferior, they must submit. No, that's not it at all. In fact, the words that Paul wrote here were radical. They were unbelievable to the people reading them. When, when they looked at this, they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Women are things. Why am I being, if you're telling me I, a woman has to submit to a man, that's already telling them that they're equal and therefore they voluntarily need to step down because there's no other reason to do it. Do you see what I'm saying? Paul was now elevating the status of women. We might think today that, oh, he's taken us a step back. We're back to the Stone Age. No. Paul was elevating women and says, men, you've got to understand something. Before God, your wife is equal to you. Amen. Equal. Amen. And the only reason she submits is because I'm asking her to, not because she must. Amen. And she has to only do it voluntarily. You can't compel her. Okay, now, what does that mean? That means she's not a doormat. She's not someone that has no opinion. I think you have to understand is uh, they're an equal, and they're doing something out of obedience to God, not of it, out of inferiority. Now, what does that mean? William Barclay said this about the status of women when Paul wrote this, and this is why it was so radical. Under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was the possession of her husband just as much as his house, his flocks, or his goods. She had no legal right whatsoever. For instance, under Jewish law, a husband could divorce his wife for any cause, while a wife had zero rights, whatever, in the initiation of a divorce. And in the Greek society, a respectable woman lived in entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, and she could not even go to the market alone. 
from her there was demanded a complete servitude and chastity. But her husband could enter into many relationships outside the marriage as he liked and incur no stigma. How would you like to be a woman, woman in that day? I think some of us wouldn't survive. You're right. Either the man would be killed or the woman would be killed. I don't know. So when Paul first addresses here the command to wives and husbands, he's radically elevating the position of women. And before men get too excited, well, about time, someone told them. No, please no. Biblical submission. Let's pay attention to this. It's not a one-way street for women. Men, you're commanded to submit also. Did you know that? What? What? Well, in James 4, 7, it says we should be submitting ourselves to God first. Are you submitting to God? And we're not even, God doesn't even, this is amazing about God. God is not our equal. I want you to know, folks, God is not our equal. But he's patient enough to let you submit. He could put his thumb on you, squish you into the dirt, and said, submit. But he doesn't. But what should we, we as humans, of an equal human, want to put our thumb on them when the infinite does not. We are way out of place. Second, men, you're supposed to submit to other believers. Submit to one another, according to Ephesians 5.21. And also you're supposed to submit to church leaders. And you're supposed to submit to government. We should be men of submission. That means humility. That means you rank yourself under someone else because God says so. You're in the same boat as your wife. Men, are you submitters? I'll tell you why. Men are commanded to submit just like women, and they're also commanded to love their wives. We're going to cover that in a minute. But far too many unloving husbands, I think, have not submitted themselves to Christ and have claimed Colossians 3.18 as their life's verse so they can dominate their wife, control their home. This is not what it's for. This is wrong. This is not appropriate. See, God made women to respond to loving leadership, not to a tyrant who demands obedience. This is not something. See, to submit is not to obey, by the way. That's a different word. To submit is to voluntarily rank yourself under and follow. See, to have a leader in a home, does you know what that means? Someone must be willing to follow. God is calling you, women, to trust him and follow. Now, this is hard because if you're not following someone who's submitted to Christ someone who loves you like Christ loved the church sacrificially, this is hard. It almost seems impossible. But I want to make a, a, a quick interjection here. Women, if you're not married, there's two things you need to remember. Do not, please, 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 do not pursue a man who is not first committed and submitted to Jesus Christ. 
Secondly, because men are commanded to love and your key to response is love and love like Christ loved, do not associate and try to pursue a man who will not sacrificially love you. If you have to make all the sacrifices and he's not submitted to Christ, you're in for a lifetime of heartache and pain. Please do not do that. Men, I will give you the same command. Do not pursue something that's because it's pretty. Proverbs said this, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is greatly to be praised. We need to improve our selection process on who we pursue. Teach our kids to pursue rightly. Don't pursue beauty, fame, wealth, position, power. None of those things will bring joy and eternal life. Pursue someone who was committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and who's willing to love you in a way that would sacrifice. But as verse 18 goes on, the question that comes up is, who are wives commanded to submit to? Sorry, all men, they're only commanded to submit to one man on the planet, and that is her own husband. That woman does not need to submit to any other man just because he's a man. So women, you're free from all of our opinions except your husbands. Now, doesn't mean you're free of the governments, doesn't mean you're free of the church. Those are different types of submission. But as far as family living, there's only one voice you might need to listen to, and that would be your husband. All of us, we can't tell another man's wife what to do. Clear? I mean, we don't need to discuss that a lot. That's just a fact. Well, the other thing, too, is says, how are they supposed to submit? Well, in verse 18, it says they're supposed to submit as fitting in the Lord. See, I believe there's at least two ways to render this, fitting in the Lord. One, because it's right. And the other way is because it needs to be done in a way that honors God. Okay, so one way is we submit because it's right. How do we know submission is right? How do we know submission is biblical? Well, let's look at someone who practiced it and did it well. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, was there someone that you would think wouldn't need to submit would be God himself? Correct? Well, let's look at some verses. In chapter two of Luke, while Jesus as a boy was returning to Nazareth from Jerusalem, verse 51 says this, and Jesus went down with them, his mother and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Wait a minute. I thought you only submit to someone who's smarter. Someone's got a better plan. So the infinite God is submitting to fallible parents. Why? Because God says that was the right thing to do. How about this one? In the garden, we remember Jesus' prayer in Luke 22. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. So was Jesus now just publicly confessing, well, Lord, I don't have the smarts, I don't have the ability, I'm not as worthy as you, so I will submit. Is that what he's saying? You better say no. How about the last one? In 1 Corinthians 11.3, it says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. What? What? 
Does that mean Christ is inferior to God the Father because he's been asked to submit? Absolutely no. Absolutely no. That's heresy. We believe in a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all equal in power, all equal in worth, all equal in knowledge, all equal in nature. Jesus was not inferior in the minus detail to the Father. What happened? They agreed that for Jesus to come on this rescue mission, he needed to submit to the Father. To save you and me, he submitted voluntarily placed himself under. This is what God is telling wives. If you want success in your home, if you want it to run well, I'm asking you to do this. Just like Jesus voluntarily took on the role of submission to the Father. We gotta get this clear. Submission has nothing to do with worth or inferiority or smartness. Who's got the better plan? God says It's done because he's asked it to be done. Well, the the other part of this is we need to submit not only because it's right, but because it should be done only in places that honor and bring glory to God. Does God call us to submit in everything to your husband? No, he does not. I would say here, God is not requiring her to submit to anything that would violate her obedience to scripture, her Christian conscience, or her physical safety. If her husband, Christian or not, physically abusive to her, continues to hurt or injure her, she need not submit to that abuse and just take it because God says submit. That's wrong. Now, she needs to flee. Doesn't mean she needs to pursue a divorce. Be clear. She might, we don't know but she does need to be safe. So ladies, let you know, I want to let you know the church stands behind you. If you need to leave your home for your safety's sake, we're behind you. Yes. We're not going to tell you, well, you need to take it. Suck it up. God says submit. No way. So please don't stay in a situation like that. The second thing is if your husband tells you, hey, dear, let's go down to the bar and let's get drunk. You have the right to say no. If he says, dear, I've just noticed that I don't have your attention all the time. You're reading your Bible far too much. I want you to put that book away. In fact, I don't want you to ever read that thing again. That's just destroying our fun. Does she have to obey that? No. We have example after example in Scripture of men and women who said no to what otherwise would be a God's command. Does God say for us to follow government officials? Okay, when Peter and John were in Jerusalem and they said, never talked about Jesus again. And what did they say? Well, they said, we must obey God rather than men. Do your worst. If you need to throw us in jail, go for it. But I'm obeying God. Women, it's the same for you. You need to say no when it violates God's will for your life. Now, there's one other thing. Submission is scary because sometimes it looks totally wrong. It doesn't mean it's sinful. Just imagine yourself as Sarah following Abraham across the her journey and he comes up to Egypt and says, ooh, my life is in danger. I'm gonna tell them you're my sister because you're really my half-sister anyway because if I tell them you're my wife, they might kill me and take you. 
So I'll just tell him you're my sister, and I'll hand you to the Pharaoh of Egypt, and he can, you can be in his harem. Did you know that Sarah submitted to that? Does that sound smart? Abraham didn't even learn. He did it again to King Abimelech and Gerar in Genesis verse chapter 20. He did it again to another king. What did Sarah do? According to Peter, 1 Peter 3, it says this. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. How did they adorn themselves? By submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear. Who rescued Sarah? God. She says, God... My husband is a fool. And I'm going into a dangerous place, but I'm going to submit. I don't know how this plan's going to be good, but I'm submitting. And God delivered her. God delivered her. You see this? This is the, this is the difference. This is the difference between us. We want to make sure it makes sense or that my plan was better. God says, let me be God. Let me deliver you. I'm going to prove something out of even what looks like a foolish plan to both the king, the pharaoh, to Abraham, and to everyone that I'm a delivering God, and I honor those who honor me. Do you hear that? Submission is not easy, but we got to trust God that he knows what he's doing. If he asks you to do it, and it's not a sin to do it, do it. Because God will teach your family, your husband, you, the people around you, your children, a story of faith that will be greater than anything you could have done by rebelling. Amen. Well, let's move on. The second pillar of a godly home. Man, I got a roll. A little bit. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You know, as I studied this week, I learned something about this command. Um, in the ancient times, it wasn't uncommon for philosophers and teachers to provide lists to the people of their homes of this is how homes should be run in our society. Uh, parents do this. Children do this. Masters do this. Slaves do this. And they had a list, and they were called a set of household rules. But there was one thing that was never written and the household rules of any other philosopher, any other teacher in ancient times. And that was this, husbands love your wives. That was a foreign concept. That was like weird to them. In fact, this guy named uh, Edward Loos, he was a German theologian, he says, this command does not appear in any of the extra-biblical household rules of the day. So imagine the guys in Colossae as they read this. What? I mean, I've seen these rules before, but this one's weird. Love my wife. And they're using a word for love that I, man, I, I don't understand this. See, up till now, wives are only property. Can you imagine today if someone came up to you and said, husbands, Love your shovel. <laughs> Love your skill saw. There were things that you owned. 
A wife was a thing you owned. This was radical, people. This was like off the charts. God was telling them, men, this type of behavior towards your wives stops now. You do not treat her as a thing, as a property, as something you have. This is a valuable person, and you will love her. Well, what if she's not nice? What if she's cranky? Love her. Well, what if she doesn't cook too well? Love her. Well, she wasn't the prettiest of her sisters. Love her. See, God is not, there's no condition here. There's no condition. Now, this is an interesting thing. So husbands, your leadership has to be coming out of love. You need to be a loving leader. Now, a leader who is not a lover is a tyrant, a dictator. And a lover who is not a leader has an equal problem. They're just a, kind of like a sap, a, a, a marshmallow that doesn't accomplish anything on purpose. How can you accomplish anything for God if you're not leading anywhere? I hope I go somewhere. You know, any direction is the right direction if you have no destination. God's saying that loving leadership is the key to a home's success. And men, it starts with us. It starts with us. Um, what does husband mean in the first place? Is husband to our world just the man in the relationship who happens to be married? Is that how we think of husband? When Paul was writing this, think of this. Have you, are you familiar with the verse in John 15, verse one? I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my father is the vine dresser. Ever heard that verse? Well, if you've ever read, read that in the King James, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Hmm. Husbands, we're to be caretakers, cultivators, protectors, growers of our wife, not just the man in the relationship. God is a loving cultivator of us. We need to be loving cultivators in our home. There's another thing too. The word love, we all know what word he used, right? The word is Agape. Yeah, there's lots of words in Greek for love, but this is the highest, the greatest, the superlative love that describes the Father's love. And so we're supposed to love with this superlative love. And do we have any examples for that? Well, in fact, we do. Ephesians 5.25, Paul says it this way. Instead of just saying, husbands, love your wives, period, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did he love her? Well, first, sacrificially. Men, are you willing to sacrifice anything for your wife? I mean, even giving up the remote control for the TV? Here, dear, I know I have shows I'd love to watch, but I sacrifice that right to give you the remote. And we can watch, I don't know, I won't offend anybody. But anyway, what do you sacrifice? Do you make any sacrifices for your wife? Can you list one? 
Would she know of any? This is what we're called to be. It says our love is also to be unconditional. Unconditional? Undeserved? I mean, we did nothing to merit the love of God. Do you require her to do something to merit your love? You have to behave in a certain way or I won't love you? That is not agape. That is not God's love. In fact, we sang today, I'm so glad we sang it, from Romans chapter 8. There is nothing that will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of love he wants you to have for your wife. There's nothing she can do to make you stop loving her. She can be mean to you, you'll love her. She can be rude to you, you can love her. She can forget your birthday, you love her. Do you see? We put so many conditions on our own love. If you do these things, I will love you. That's how the world loves. God's calling us men to a standard that I think actually is higher than the standard of submission. To love like Christ? What kind of a high bar is that? That's not even fair. Well, it's not even possible without the Holy Spirit. We can't, we can't even begin to touch that command unless God enables us. We love because he first loved us. We don't have that kind of love built in us. Well, I need to move on. It's not a reciprocal love. It's a love that says we don't are harsh. We're not bitter towards our wife. And I think one of the key things that we need to do as husbands is let it go. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. How long is your list? How quick to be remembered is your list? Love keeps no record of wrongs. This is where the root of bitterness comes from. This is where you didn't do enough for me or I did enough for you. You've always got this internal scorecard going on. Well, I did this and this, but she did this and this and this. So what does that have to do with anything? God says, love her like I loved you, which means you did nothing, you were dirty, you keep messing up, but I love you anyway. I'm going to continue to do good for you. I'm going to continue to pour my life into you. Not because you're worthy, because I choose to. Love is a decision. Love is a matter of the will. I'll leave you with this. Love has to be these things, otherwise it could not be commanded. It's not a feeling. It's an action. Well, third pillar is children are to obey. It pleases God. See, obedience is for all kids. And I have to say, the word in, chap in verse 20 is tekdon, children. It doesn't mean toddlers. I think everybody says toddlers must obey. Well, toddlers have no choice. Toddlers don't even know what they're doing. I mean... Of course you give commands to toddlers and you protect toddlers and you shield toddlers and you expect them to obey. But what about people who just happen to live under your roof that you're providing for, you're caring for, they're your children. This is the same word that Jesus used in the prodigal son story. It says that he had a son. That word actually is technon. It's the same word. There's any age living at home as a child should obey mom and dad. If you're depending on mom and dad, you obey mom and dad. Amen. I mean, it's almost like 
They're paying your bills. They're giving you a place to live. They're giving you food. They're giving you protection. They're, everything that you had as a little child, you still have. If that's true, you need to listen to them. That's what he's saying. Children, obey. And obey has a lot more than just comply. I wish I had time to develop it because compliance is not necessarily the point. Honor stands behind compliance. Exodus and the command of children to honor your parents always stands. We need to honor our parents. That means you don't roll your eyes as you obey. Remember, we've all heard it. I'm, you know, you tell them to sit down. Well, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That is the part of honor that we need God's help to do. Sometimes we comply, but we don't honor. God's calling us to do both. And children, it's a, it's a serious matter. It's a serious matter. God gives you this promise, though. If you obey your mom and dad, if you honor them, your life will be going well, and you will live long in the land that God gave you. If you want to live a short, unhappy life, be rebellious. God will guarantee it. And it might even be a short, unhappy life. We see it all too often. Well, the last point is really parents do not exasperate. Well, does anybody ever do that on purpose? Well, don't answer. I don't want to know. I don't think most of us exasperate our kids on purpose. Do you? But we do it in so many good ways. I think the point is, is children have the responsibility to obey, but parents have the responsibility to not exasperate. If you want children who obey, you better be a parent who doesn't exasperate. Because an exasperation, an exasperated child is a child who loses heart, who gives up. It doesn't matter what I do. It's never good enough. When a child gives up, that looks a lot like rebellion because they don't care. Discipline me. Throw me out. Do whatever. I, I can't win this game. Does anybody like to play a game they can't win? I don't know of a person that loves a game that has changing rules, it's unfair, and you can never win. You will never play it. Kids are in the same boat. They won't play your game. And I just want to give you a few things before we end. Because the goal of raising kids is not to exasperate them, to train them, to make them comply. It's to make them faithful, committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. It doesn't matter whether they're all-stars, football players, musicians, artists, architects. Those goals are wonderful if you have some, but let them rest and be put aside for the greater goal of letting them be a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please. You, your dreams for your kids, not necessarily their dreams. And here's one of the things. I, let me just share, eh, how many do I have? Nine. I, I'll just share nine things in a, in a minute. It'll be a speed course. If you want to frustrate your kids, if, if you really want to do a good job at this, don't do what you say, make promises you don't keep, be hypocritical in your actions and words, 
do the things you tell them not to do and don't do the things you tell them to do. You'll, you'll win every time. They won't listen to you. They'll be frustrated. Two, nag and criticize. Communicate nothing they do is ever really good enough. Always find the fault. When they clean the kitchen or they mow the lawn, don't say great job. Say, you missed a spot. Anybody ever do that? They bring home the report card. All A pluses. What's this B plus? What? Is that the first thing you see? The B plus? Don't be that person. Three, micromanage them. Overprotect them. Do everything. Dominate everything. Make sure they do everything your way. That nothing not done your way is ever good. Tell them you don't trust them. They can't think. They love that. Wrong. They don't. They hate that. We need to train them to do and think. Four, you know, have unreasonable expectations. Well, if you don't end up president and a doctor and going to Harvard Law, I don't know if I can even deal with you. Have reasonable expectations for them. Let them know that God has gifted every child differently and their ceiling might be different than the neighbor's than their brothers or sisters. Don't, don't ever compare them to their brothers and sisters. Okay, be fair and consistent. Don't show partiality. We see how that worked out for Joseph. Don't uh, be inconsistent. Don't let the rule slide one day and the next day they're black and blue. They don't know how to act. I did the same thing yesterday and lived. Today, it's death. They don't like, it's, how can one learn? What's the, what's the message? Don't ignore them. Make time for them. And show them affection. Tell them you love them. That they don't have to do anything to earn it. Well, I just want to close. These are hard things to do. And I hope every one of us can learn a couple things here. God's word is very clear. But doing it is very hard. Depend on him on his Holy Spirit to accomplish these things. We will never become wonderful parents, wonderful children without his help. Won't happen. And the issue here is not do you understand these commands, is will you do them? Will you do them? Are you committed to doing them? Not because you like them or they feel wonderful, because he said, this is what's best for you, my child. Well, the last thing I want you to know is this. Men, it starts with us. I hate to tell you this. It's not whether your wife submits or your children obey. If you're not loving and leading, this home is going nowhere. And this love like Jesus is so important to your home. I wish I could tell you a story. I have one. It happened in my own life of how important it was to love like Jesus. Well, do I have time? No, I don't. When my, when my marriage failed, it was a very painful time. And as it was failing, my dad came up to me one day and said, by the way, son, you have an opportunity that many Christian men don't have. And I said, what, failing? Uh, what? And he says, no. You get to show your daughter a different kind of love. I go, what do you mean? 
He says, most Christian kids might grow in a home and think daddy loves mommy, mommy loves daddy. It's, this is how it works. When mommy loves daddy, daddy loves mommy. It's all reciprocal. But you get to show her something else. I, he says, when your wife, who is treating you badly, defying your joy in your life, living an unfaithful life, how do you respond? When she hates you, you love her. When she treats you bad, you love her back. When, when you ask her to do something and she says no, you love her anyway. Amen. Says you get to show your child how God loves. Amen. He said, you have an opportunity. And I said, that's too hard of an opportunity, Dad. I don't like that opportunity. But I have to tell you, it changed the way I ran my home and it changed what happened in my daughter's life. She loves Jesus now. She serves Jesus now. She knows that God loves her even when she fails. And if you all could get that today, if you could just understand that God loves you even when you fail, you'll be miles ahead. Oh, Father, help us today to just try to do what you said. Trust you that it will turn out well, that surrendering our, our rights under the King of kings and Lord of lords is no surrender at all. It's a privilege. Help us, Father, to be loving dads, fathers, husbands, wives who are teammates in a marriage, children who gladly will follow parents' leadership, and parents who know not to look at the small stuff and try to train your child to be a follower of you. Help us, Jesus. These are big tasks. Give us the ability to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.